Hello, welcome back to But You Don't Look Sick, episode 19, which really kind of seems crazy. And with it being episode 19, I wanted it to be a very special episode. I wanted it to be very informative. Um, And I wanted to bring on a guest who had a lot to say, but also who gave so much great insight and was able to tell so many stories being years out of a breast cancer diagnosis. Um, With that being said, though, episode 19 is going to close the chapter of season one of this podcast. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a break because this podcast really started as a way for me to document my journey outside of Instagram and my blog to be able for people to hear my voice, the real raw emotion of what I went through this last year, what cancer treatment really entails. Um, And I kind of felt like, you know, Instagram wasn't always telling that story for me because I wanted my Instagram to always stay positive and happy. And so that's kind of how the podcast came about. And now that I have told my story, it's kind of up to date of where I am now. I wanted to take a little bit of a break kind of figure out where I want to go next with this podcast, the topics that I want to talk about, the guests that I want to have on. So yeah, so this is going to be kind of season one. I'm going to take a little break. You'll be able to hear me other places, so I'm not going away completely, um, but I am going to kind of restructure or figure out where this platform is going to go next as far as breast cancer. I don't by any means think that a year outside of treatment, your story is done. I know mine is definitely not. I'm going through so many other things related to breast cancer, life after breast cancer, children after breast cancer, um, your marriage after breast cancer. There are so many topics that I can want to continue to talk about. I just kind of have to figure out exactly how I want to form that into episodes. And so that is definitely coming, but I am going to give myself a little bit of a break. 19 episodes, producing them once a week um, is a lot, but it was definitely a labor of love and will continue to be. This podcast has given me a voice um, where I don't feel like I had anywhere else. And I will forever be grateful to anyone who has listened to this, who has subscribed to this, who has messaged me or emailed me about their own story, to the guests that have come on here to tell their stories on this platform. Um, It's completely humbling, and I love that this is a resource for people that are being newly diagnosed or going through it. It's a reference point. Um, It's more than I ever thought it would be when I thought about setting up a microphone and doing this on my own. So a huge thank you to anyone who has listened to this, to everyone who has supported this. Um, With that being said, today I have a guest on. Her name is Angelique Lamour. She is a writer, an author. Um, She's a mother. She's a breast cancer survivor. She's a wife. She is so much more than breast cancer. And she's on today to tell you about her book, that she has available specifically to mothers or parents going through a breast cancer diagnosis. Um, She's incredibly insightful. I love this interview. I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. She brings a humor and a different perspective to breast cancer that I feel is very important. Um, And I love the way that she tells her own story. 
looking back on everything that she's been through, especially with her kids and her family. Um, she says a lot of things about accepting help and how that was instrumental in her getting through breast cancer. And I think that it was definitely eye-opening to me to see that there, there's so many different ways to go about um, battling this disease. And so I'm excited for her to be on. You are going to want to check out her book and her blog. Her book is available on Amazon. She has multiple books available on Amazon. Um, The one that I love is Chemo Cupcakes and Carpools. It is a hands-on guide how to navigate parenting and breast cancer. So it's definitely worth a read. It's available on Amazon again. She's also going to talk about her blog within the episode. So here is my interview with Angelique. So I guess what I wanted to say is, um, the reason I reached out to you Mm -hmm. was because you were very interested in talking about being a parent at the same time as going through cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, they still say that the majority of women, um, who get cancer are menopausal. I just feel like that is changing so rapidly Mm -hmm. that 20 years from now, it's, it's not, they're not going to be saying that anymore. Right. And we have a different set of issues Mm -hmm. from someone who's in their sixties or seventies. We have kids that we're taking care of and raising. And we have, sometimes we have parents that we're taking care of, though I'm graced with an incredibly healthy mother who was taking care of me. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was 45 and I also didn't really fit. Like I didn't fit in the menopausal women and I didn't fit with the, the young, the really young women who are getting breast cancer, like the, the young, uh, um, the younger group who were like in their twenties and thirties, I felt like I was kind of in this middle place, but there were so many, women around me who were also parents who were also dealing with breast cancer, uh, just in my daughter's school. Right. And I think the most important thing, and I, I have a book that I'm working on right now that hopefully will come out in the next year or so. Um, the most important decision I made was right after I was diagnosed. And I mean, when I say right after, I would say in the first 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I've always been a very positive person. So I, I, you know, you can go negative, you can go positive. I was definitely going to go positive with this, but I also realized that I had this uh, extremely amazing opportunity to teach by example, Mm -hmm. my children, how to deal with anything. Yes. Even something that is super scary. And whatever they remember from that time, they were seven and 11. Um, the example was put in front of them Mm -hmm. of me trying to keep their lives moving along Mm -hmm. while I was doing this weird thing. You know, my older daughter made one request of me and she said, please cover your head when you come to school. (laughs) And I said, okay, uh-huh. And and I was really good. I wore scarves and I wore hats and whatever. And and one day I was picking her up, and I got out of the car to talk to the man in the car behind me, the dad, who we were. Our kids were going to the same party that weekend, mm-hmm. and so we were going to share driving. And I jumped out of the car to go talk to him, with my bald head, and my daughter was coming out, and her classroom came out on a on a like catwalk balcony over the carpool pickup. 
Uh-huh. And I'm walking towards his car and she's walking out the door looking at me oh, no. and her mouth drops open because I have nothing on my head. <laughs> and I stop cold and Roger looks at me and he goes, what's wrong? And I said, I don't have anything on my head. Kate's going to kill me. And he and he like leaps out of his car, runs to the back of his car, grabs a baseball cap and gives it to me. Oh. And, on and I was like, yeah, OK now. But I didn't I didn't wear anything covering my head the majority of the time because I couldn't stand it. Yep. You know, and yeah. you talked, you talked about your low bun. Mm-hmm. So my, my hair loss story, um, my hair loss story is that I went to the wig man <laughs> I said, I'm going to take you to the wig guy. We're going to go get you a great wig. And I'm like, okay, mom, let's go get me a great wig. <laughs> and the, the wig man said, when you, you know, like pull your hand through your hair and like 30 hairs come up in your hand, that's when you come see me and I'll shave your head. And he said, it'll be somewhere in week two after your first chemo. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. So I get to day 17 and, and I'm doing that and nothing's coming out, but I have really curly hair. Uh-huh. So it wouldn't, but I didn't know that. And he didn't realize that because he would have mentioned something. So I get in the shower and I wash my hair and I always let it air dry. And I go to walk around a school that my older daughter is considering going to for seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and we're taking the tour. Right. And I feel my hair is doing this weird thing and it feels like I've got braids mm-hmm. and I reach my hand back and I realize that my hair has parted down the center and dried into two like dreadlocks <laughs> down to the middle of my back. It wasn't a small amount of hair. It was like, I had a, I had a head of hair yeah. and it and down to the middle of my back. And I was like, Oh my God, please don't, you know, please don't let her see this and don't let anybody realize what this is. Yeah. And and the next day I just, I got up and I had to go to, I went to lunch for my mother's birthday and I stuffed it under a hat. And the day after that, I just said to my husband, okay, let's go get my head shaved. Yep. I didn't want him to shave it because I was worried about infection and getting cut and whatever. And it wasn't something that he'd ever really done to himself. So uh-huh. I thought, let's just leave that be to the professionals. <laughs> so I did that and I went to the wig guy and he, and he, he shaved my head and he was very, he's like, there's no crying in here. And he turned my back to the mirror and he shaved my head. My husband took pictures and, and then I made the biggest mistake with the wig is that I let him cut it instead of taking the wig to the guy who cuts my hair. <laughs> And because he made me a curly wig, I looked like I was a member of Motley Crue. Because <laughs> he cut back. He cut, oh my goodness. Like, this is so, I can't even, like, you don't have, you tend, don't tend to have bangs too often when you have curly hair. Right. It, you know, it really isn't a wonderful, it's a very 80s look sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, what? what am I doing with this like shoulder length hair with these bangs? And I look like I'm in an eighties hairband and, and I remember them. I tried to be an example of positivity Mm -hmm. to my family and I tried to, and I had to stay there for myself. And the way I did it is I started keeping a blog Mm -hmm. and that kept me positive by writing positively and Mm -hmm. finding the humor in every experience. And, and then I started having friends who were diagnosed after me who were writing me emails and asking me questions. And I was writing the same emails over and over. And that's when I decided to put together Chemo Cupcakes and Carpools. Yes, my, which is my, yes, my, which is your book. 
that's on Amazon. And I, I, I put that together with all the helpful hints that I had given to all these friends and sisters and mothers and, you know, uncles and like everybody who was like, how do I handle this? How do I handle this? And I was just like, this is what I do. Yeah. I don't think for a minute you're going to remember anything because you won't. Right. (laughs) (laughs) There's no remembering. Yeah. And you know, I have a friend who just, who just, who's like, yeah, I've read your book. Yeah. I've read your book. Then her husband started chemo and she's like, actually, I haven't read your book. I'm like, go read my book. (laughs) It's going to take you like an hour and you're going to have so much more help. Yeah. Because it was just really nobody, when you put something up on Amazon, you self-publish, you have to pick categories and Mm -hmm. there really isn't, there really isn't another book out there. that's like this. There's books about personal experiences. There's books about choices people made. There's books about, um, parenting a child with cancer. Mm -hmm. God. but there's no book about how did I do this? How did I get from Sunday to Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, yep. while going through all this and keeping my kids' lives as much on track as possible? Yes. And it's so much different coming from a real account of somebody who has gone through it, not a psychologist per- like a perspective or a social worker's perspective or somebody who is just trained to work with children who are not their own. I think um, coming from a patient's perspective and saying, no, I lived this, like these are the things that actually happened during treatment. This isn't the things that you read about in a textbook or that you're conditioned to in any way, shape or form. This is how you keep your life going. This is what you say yes to and no to. This is how, you know, everybody would say, can I help? And I just kept saying yes to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I'm not sure how, but yes. Mm-hmm. And just let me know. I can call you. And <clears throat> the first call I made before I told my kids, I called um, a friend of mine who is a child psychologist mm-hmm. and a, a very, you know, great practice. And he's been one for forever. And I said, um, how do I tell my kids? And he said, you don't. And I said, what? And I realized at that moment that he was a psychologist, but he was a dad mm-hmm. who worked. So he wasn't the primary in-house parent. Mm-hmm. And I know that the fastest way to find my kids from birth was to either get on the phone or go into the bathroom. <laughs> Right? Yes, exactly. And everybody shows up. It's like, oh, I'm in the bathroom, Grand Central Station. Yes. Mom, mom, mom. Yeah. So you're like, how am I going to keep no hair, no breasts? Mm-hmm. How am I going to keep that from them? I yeah. mean, they weren't two. They were right. a year old. I, I mean, you know, I'm grateful. They were potty trained. They were old enough to get themselves dressed and understand enough. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that I'm very grateful for because I have talked to women who've been diagnosed during, uh, during pregnancy and right following. And, you know, I just, that amount of energy that you need with a newborn is unbelievable on top of chemo. I can't even imagine, but I just realized I had, you know, I had to do what was right for my family. And certainly my daughter's got different amounts of information based on how old they are. Um, and I just was like, yeah, this sounds too stressful to me. You know, mm-hmm. to, to like get up and put the wig on every morning before anybody sees me. Yes. And that was you know, my, that was my biggest thing. Yeah. Like cover up. And I was like, you know, I'm, they need to know, you know, I, I my seven year old at that point, like to like bear hug me mm-hmm. 
And I remember saying to my plastic surgeon, so when can my daughter give me a, a bear hug again? And he said, well, you know, she, she can give you a hug. She just, I said, no, 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 no. This is a kid who likes to run from across the room and jump on top of me while I'm lying in bed and give me a hug. And he's like, yeah, you can't do that for a while. Yeah. You know, so I was like, how do, what do I want to do? Yell at her to stop or yeah. explain to her no, that I've I had surgery? It hurts. Yeah. It's about, I've always told, told people that, and people that have now that I've been so open, especially with the podcast and my blog and everything. And when people do get newly diagnosed and they'll contact me on Instagram or they'll send me an email and say, you know, my, my children are however old. And, you know, I always say to include them in everything. Um, that's what we did. I mean, I didn't keep, like you said, we tailored everything to what they could understand. And at the time, you know, we had a seven-year-old, seven, five, uh, four and three, no, four and two. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there were, so we were definitely telling each of them something different, something that they could comprehend, um, something that wasn't so scary because physically watching your mom go through this is scary enough. Um, yeah. So, you know, we never talked about, and my kids never really, because we've been a military family and we've moved around, we've never really been around um, family members when they've gone through some type of sickness or any type of disease or anything like that. We've never been there firsthand. So they weren't really well equipped to deal with like death. They had no idea that cancer could cause death. And so we never really got to that point to them to just scare the living crap out of them. I said to, I said to my, my older daughter said to me, are you going to die? And I said, the plan is, and I kept using that term, the plan is because I didn't want to die and have my kids angry with me for lying. Mm -hmm. So I'd say the plan is I'm going to be a really, really old woman. And you're going to be so tired of me by the time I kick off this earth. You'll be grateful. (laughs) I am going to live forever. That's what the plan is. Yes. And you know, we were, I was lucky. We were all lucky that nobody around us who had cancer passed away during that period. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it has, they have since, but not during that period, which was good. Um, cause I didn't have to get into it too deeply, Yeah. but my older daughter, um, she and I would go, like we went to the, the mall and we were shopping for something. I don't even know what anymore. I remember exactly where I was though. And she said to me, mommy, why are, why are people looking at you so angry? Cause I was, didn't have anything on my head. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, I think it depends on how old they are. Mm-hmm. And she said, what do you, what do you mean? And I said, well, I said, if they're in their seventies or eighties, they're remembering Auschwitz. That's the first place that they go when they see somebody bald. And I said, in the second, the second group, I said, the younger ones, I said, they're looking at me thinking it's really sad that I have cancer and wondering how much time I have left. Yes. And I said, and I'm planning on having a lot of time. So that's good. And I said, I don't see any reason to hide what mm-hmm. I'm going through yeah. because I am proud that I'm going through it. Yes. You know, know? yep. One of the things, and we had, like I said, we had never talked about like death with my children, but I was in the grocery store one day with all of my kids and a bald, I never wore a wig or really put anything on my head because for my kids, I felt like that was just too weird for them. Like me, me wearing a wig and then taking it off at home. I feel like that would freak my two year old out. Like, you know, like, wait, yeah, yeah, you just had hair. So I just kept it at a constant. I was like, we are owning this. We are living this. This is what it is. We were going through the grocery store in the checkout, and there was an older woman who was helping us check out. And uh, she said, she said something about cancer, 
And I said, yes, uh, you know, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she said, oh, my first husband died of lung cancer. And I just remember like my heart just like sank. And I, I remember I was just like, just a wave of nausea came over me because my children had never heard death and cancer before. And my seven-year-old, he, you know, came over to me afterwards and we're getting loading things into the car. And he was just very sad, very concerned. And he pulled on my shirt and he said, mom, why did she say that her husband died? And I was just like, oh, like I was crushed. I just felt yeah. like, you know, same as you, we tried to keep things so upbeat, so positive, yeah. so yeah. humorous. Like we were just always cracking jokes. I mean, just everything yeah. that that went so dark so fast for him. Um, and then we had to have that conversation with him. And same thing as you where I said, but that's not going to happen to mom, you know, I'm going to be here, you know, I'm going to be here. I'm going to watch you graduate high school. I'm going to watch you get married. Like I'm going to watch all of these things. And he's like, okay, okay. But I mean, that's when I was just like, you know, you can't shield them from everything. (laughs) I said to my seven-year-old, I said, here's the deal. Um, you know, I said, mommy's got something that's called cancer. And Mm -hmm. I said, some people think cancer is a really scary word. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's a really scary word. Because I, I thought she's going to hear stuff, yep. and I, I wanted her to realize that that some people find it frightening, that I didn't find it frightening. I was scared shit. You know, I was yeah. really scared. But I was like, I, I don't, I don't, you know, start not digging my grave mm-hmm. right now. I like, I just said it's, you know, some people think it's a really scary word. I don't think it's a really scary word. So we're going to just go forward that way. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I think we – we did keep our humor up and we were very, I was very lucky at that moment because we were at this small Catholic school and I was, I was teaching my daughter, my older daughter's sixth grade class, literature and creative writing. And I was teaching, you know, in the classroom and then during chemo, I was teaching by Skype. And so everybody knew, mm-hmm. everybody knew the whole school knew. And I wanted that because I wanted my daughters to feel free to talk to anybody, yep. any mother, any father, any teacher, if they needed that moment. Mm-hmm. And I know that my younger daughter went to the prayer corner in her classroom a lot. Mm-hmm. And I know that my older daughter just, she's incredibly gregarious and outgoing. So mm-hmm. she just like do- dove into her friends. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, you know, do you want me to tell your soccer team? And, um, I said, what do you want me to do? I said, I, I, I need to tell the moms and, and I just need to do it. And she said, can you do it right now before we go to practice? And I said, yes, I can. So I sent off this email and I just said, here's the deal. I have breast cancer. I'm having surgery October 9th. Um, I'm going to do, uh, we're going to find out if I'm doing chemo. You know, I don't know exactly what's going on yet, but mm-hmm. I am having surgery and you know, I'm going to need, might need some, some rides mm-hmm. you now. And that was we, we lived 35 minutes from the soccer field. We get in the car. We drive to the soccer field. Most of the girls lived closer. She gets out of the car, and it was like she'd come home from the war. The entire <laughs> team went screaming, running across the field at her, throwing themselves around her, grabbing her, hugging her, giving her these hugs. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is the most amazing group of parents I have mm-hmm. ever known in my life mm-hmm. because they just enveloped her. And every time I needed something— they were instantly there. 
Yeah. Can, can, can so-and-so come over to play? Yes. I'll pick her up at what time? And I'm like, you know, I never, I didn't have to do anything. She stayed with her coach and, and his daughter was on the team as well. So she stayed with them the night, uh, the night before I had my surgery because mm-hmm. she had, um, a soccer game the next day. I think that's what it was. Or it was like, no, it must've been a little later. I think it was the first chemo and she stayed with them. And then she went to soccer the next day with them. And she did, it was, you know, they had a lot of, um, they were really an amazing, an amazing group of parents and the school was the same way. They were just like, what can I do? What can I do? And, you know, and I just started saying, yes, I'll figure it out, yeah. you know, and, and I was really, we were really blessed. I mean, the, the, the funny, the funny, horrible, the funny, horrible story, the really funny, <laughs> horrible story is, um, so I go in, so I go and I spend the night cause I live, uh, like an hour and 15 minutes away from my, my mom and, and the hospital where I mm-hmm. had my surgery. So I went in the night before my surgery and spent the night at my mom's house cause I had to be there at seven o'clock in the morning. And I had said to Christopher, my husband, this is okay. You know, my younger daughter's soccer picture day was the day after my surgery. Oh, and I said, this is what's going to happen. Mom's going to come. She's going to stay. She's going to stay the night. And she's going to do Sarah's hair. And Sarah has this massive head of curly hair <laughs> and it had the most tender scalp on the face of the earth. And so I said, just mom will come do it. She can do it. And, and you don't have to worry about it. I'll be in the hospital. I'll be drugged up. I'm not going to worry about it. So go in, have my surgery my eyes are not open. My doctor's saying, Hey, Angelique, Angelique, wake up. And I'm like, is it okay? Did you get everything? How's it look? And he's like, everything's good. Everything's good. And I called my husband's name. I don't have my eyes open. Okay. <laughs> my eyes are still closed. I can't even open them. I'm pulling myself out of the hole of anesthesia. And I'm and he's like, I'm right here. And he takes my hand. And I said, I lied. And he says, what? I said, I lied. I hurt too much. My mom has to stay here with me. <laughs> Just do her hair wet. Okay, this is my <laughs> This is like the first conversation we had. Like I just had eleven hour surgery. Oh right? my gosh! And I'm and I'm and I'm there, and I'm like, this is insane. So I, I, so he's like, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Two years go by, and I'm looking at pictures on his on his computer to like <laughs> do our Christmas card, and I come across this photograph of a sign on the wall. I'll get back to that. <laughs> so what happens when I'm still in the hospital? So here I am. I've never been away from my kids for more than like a night. Yep, that I've was me away. too. I've had this horrible, sur- you know, like big, long surgery. I'm not coming home for about a week. And um, he's worried about me. The girls are worried about me, whatever they're worried about. He wets Sarah's hair. He gets it pulled back in a flawless ponytail. Truly flawless, the very first ponytail he's ever done in his life. Okay? <laughs> flawless ponytail, and Kate walks in, and am I allowed to cuss? Oh, absolutely. Here? Oh, yes, we welcome it. Okay. She walks in. She's 11, right? She walks into the room where he's doing Sarah's hair, looks at him and goes, that looks like shit. <laughs> at which point, he sl- slams his fist into the wall. Okay. And goes and then goes and takes Sarah to get her pictures taken. When he comes home, there's a sign that Kate has placed over the hole in the wall that says, don't look behind this piece of paper. It's not like there's a hole in the wall or anything. (laughs) By the time I got home, he'd had a drywall guy there. 
oh fix my it, goodness. paint it, the whole nine yards, everything was done. I never, I didn't know about it until I found that photograph. That oh is hilarious. <laughs> what is this? And he kind of looks at me and he goes, oh. <laughs> yeah, like, Thank you for that. That is me the this. greatest thing. Like, please, please, please. So, you know, that, that whole, like I said, we, we did try to find the humor in everything yes. and, and we stayed positive. And, yeah. uh, you know, as I went through writing my, my blog, I started doing that because I had started out by sending emails and I would send a group email. And then I have two friends that are, um, very well known. And I did then I wanted them in the loop, but I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to, uh, include them on the group email. Cause I didn't want them to get nervous that I hadn't blind, blind copied them and right. all of that. So I was then copying and pasting. And finally I said, this is too much. And I started the blog and I was like, go to the blog. Yeah. You just go to the blog because I can't like be doing this. It's like three extra steps I don't need to do. And, um, and so what, what, <laughs> so those, that blog then started, I started hearing from people and I started hearing from people. And then my, my oncology nurse asked me about my attitude, which one of my dear friends had said, I wish I could bottle it. <laughs> and I, and I, and she said, I want you to tell me, tell me why you're always so positive when you're sitting in here in the chair. And I was like, and I started telling her my philosophy and what I imagined my chemo to be because I had read all these books, these mm-hmm. two books about people who, when they change their visual visualization, save their lives. Yeah. So it's like they'd come in and they draw their cancer and it would be a shark and they draw their chemo and it would be a, you know, a syringe. Mm-hmm. And when they flipped that, and they drew the chemo as big and powerful, and they drew the cancer as stupid and blind right. or you know, not able to make a decision or whatever. They started to live. Yes. Longer. People who were given, you know, six months. Right. They started to live years. And I I knew a lot I I was raised in religious science, which is a philosophy of positive thinking. And right. I knew that my mind was my most important asset. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wrote about this on my blog that I imagined the, um, I imagined my chemo to be the U S Marine Corps mm-hmm. and that my cancer was like these little silver balls that just would like bump into each other and couldn't make a decision. Mm-hmm. And, and I would see these, you know, big, strong men and women with their guns and their helmets and their flak jackets and everything. And they, they'd go in and they'd go round them all up and they'd, they'd mow them down. Mm-hmm. And at the time, um, I told my mom this, you know, and I, I had, I had been at this event years before where every branch of the armed forces was there and they all sang their fight song. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I feel I could say this freely. I, I have the greatest respect for all the armed forces, but that night, the way the Marines walked in, they walked in last and they walked in singing their song. And I, it was like, sent chills up your spine. Mm-hmm. Like they were all powerful. And then this was another level. And I, I had a conversation with a guy in an airport who was on his way to boot camp. <laughs> and, he joined, and he joined the army and I said something about the army and I said something about the Marines and he said, Oh, the Marines. He said, my brother's a Marine. I can't be a Marine. I'm not that. I thought, wow, you know, to have this image. So I, I just kept imagining this to be them. And we were friends with the retired commandant of the Marine Corps, uh, 
Charles Krulak. And so he started sending me emails. You know what the Marines do, Angelique? And he like it like they lie in wait. They leave no one behind. They don't come home until the job's done. Like he kept giving me these like catchphrases uh-huh. that I keep in my head, which is really great. And then he gave me this coin that had been struck in the honor of his commandancy. Mm-hmm. And his father had been commandant of the Marine Corps. And I I took that with me to every chemo and oh, every wow. appointment for two and a half years. It it was just in my bag. But um when I told this to my nurse, she, she was like, I need you to write this down for me. So I did. And it's, it's on my blog, uh, from Oh nine or early 2010, I think, um, about the Marines. And when you, when you read the fight song, mm-hmm. I don't know what branch of the military are you guys in. My husband was army. His army. Okay. So when you read the fight song, the last like four lines of the Marine song is if the army and the Navy, Navy ever look on heaven's scenes, they will find the gates are guarded by the United States Marines. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, it's like I, I read the whole song and I just started weeping again. I'm like, yes, th- you know, like this is who I see. This is who I see. And, you know, I've known more Marines than I've known army. So maybe that's part of it, too. But it, <laughs> it, just, it just was that. My dad was in the army. My godfather was in the Navy. I think he might've been in the army too, but he was in they, one was in Europe and one was in Japan. So we, it, it just was a, it was a very powerful thing to keep my head straight along with writing the blog and staying positive. But as the years went by, as I got done with chemo and then I got done with Herceptin and then I got pneumonia mm-hmm. and I couldn't get cleared to have my final surgery because I had something that was lighting up my PET scan and mm-hmm. it was a full year and a lung biopsy and a lung surgery before I could do it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, and I kept saying, my husband kept saying, we're just in the tunnel. We're just in the tunnel. The finish line keeps moving. We're just in the tunnel. There's not, you know, there's nothing to the right. There's nothing to the left. There is just straightforward. Mm-hmm. There's just one foot in front of the other and, and that, and that's it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so we, we kept doing it and through it all, you know, my kids grew up and graduated from various grades and moved on. And, you know, now here I am nine years later and it's, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. I, you know, stand there, stood there at my daughter's eighth grade graduation and cried. I stood there at her graduate from uh, high school and cried because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know. Yeah. And and my doctor was, you know, I chose my, I would say the smartest thing I ever did was the choice of my oncologist. Mm -hmm. I chose someone I trusted to tell me the bad stuff, but not tell it to me in a way that would scare me. Yeah. And I would let her think all the scary thoughts. And so when I got to five years and I had my checkup and she's like, oh, you got to five years. That's great. And I said, I thought that was just sort of a a random thing because that's how long they follow people. And she like, like laser focused on me and she goes, not, not with you. And I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Glad I let you think those scary thoughts for me. And they do. And I, I mean, my oncologist, he, um, he battled cancer in his thirties and the, I mean, I, I knew he was a tough guy. Like, I mean, he's a, he's a, a very empathetic man, but I knew he was just 
tough. And, and when I first met him, that he was just a strong, a strong figure to have in a medical office. But when I woke up from one of my surgeries, um, I think it was probably my bilateral, the nurses were all kind of sitting in my room because that, at that point, that was like my third surgery in that hospital. Uh And so the nurses, they were the same nurses that I had in that overnight unit in that, um, hall for the third time. So they're all sitting there and they said, who's your oncologist? And I told them, Oh, Dr. Taylor. And they said, you know, he didn't tell anyone that he had cancer. Um, and he just, he went, he still treated patients while he was going through and everything. And he was like, one day he showed up bald. He lost like 25 pounds during chemo, but he still went to work every single day and treated other people with cancer while he was going through cancer. I think the, the idea of having the reason to get, I I think, I think we're blessed. I think Mm -hmm. you and I are blessed that we have our kids because Mm -hmm. you cannot, you cannot give up. You have to get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, I I mean, I would get up in the morning and I would make lunch and I would make breakfast and then my husband, like chemo week. And then my husband would take them to school and I go back to bed, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and rest and, and do whatever I could do to make myself more comfortable until they came home. And then I would be up for about four hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that week was always really, really hard, but, you know, it, it, it added some discipline to my day mm-hmm. because I had people who needed me and I had people who were still, you know, struggling with this subject in school or getting, oh, yeah. or trying out for things mm-hmm. and not getting the part they wanted or not, not getting to play yesterday on the volleyball team or whatever it was, you know, life still went on for them. And it was kind of wonderful to be able to have that reason and that focus on something other than me. Yeah. And you know, one of the, one of the best things I did, my, my, my oldest friend, my friend from the age of five, she came, um, she lives in New York. She came home to LA and decided to have her birthday party in LA. And this was between chemo four and five for me. And I asked my, and she's like, I really want you to come. I really want you to come. And I said, I, you know, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I, and I asked my doctor and she's like, well, is it Saturday? And I said, yeah. And she said, you should go. I said, okay. So I get myself all, I get myself a new pair of jeans. I get myself a nice shirt and I doll myself up. And I, I had a car and driver drive me in because it was an hour into town. And my husband was overnight at an overnight soccer tournament. (laughs) Younger daughter had the babysitter with her and I had nobody to drive me. So I, so I, I got a car driver to drive me in into this party. I thought this is my big, you know, this is my big celebration here. Mm-hmm. I had the best time. And one of the women that I met there for the first time, I had a long chat with, it was just really, really lovely. Uh, about, I think it was two years later, I ran into her at another party for this friend. And she looks at me and she's like, oh my gosh, how are you doing? You cut your hair. And I'm like, no, when you met me, I was bald. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, you what? Oh my gosh. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But her memory of me had nothing, you know, it was like my hair was different, but she thought I'd cut it short. Yep. That's what my whole, I mean, if I could sum up, that's why that this podcast is called, but you don't look sick because when I was so sick, no one thought I was sick. I would go out and it's because I, like you said, my kids still had to be places. My husband was still in the military um, when I was going through all of my treatment. So, I mean, he still had to go to work. I still had to be full-time mom, mom um, dropping kids off, four. picking them up with four. four. Yeah. So I had two at home 
full time and then two in school. And so my two girls, I was like, they can't just be held up in this house with me in the fetal position day after day after day. Like, so, I mean, we still had to go out and do things and get out of the house. And so I was still navigating how to draw on eyebrows and how do you dress with a bald head without just looking like a boy? Like I want it because I dress very like casual in jeans all the time anyway. And so then I was like, okay, like now I'm figuring all this stuff out, but I still had to go out and do things. And people, I mean, people would ask me, you know, oh, wow. Like I've always wanted to shave my head. I'm like, I didn't No, No, that's not what's no. happening here. Like, <laughs> I was like, but they yeah, would not, it wasn't a choice. They, they would say it because they, you know, people are just so conditioned to what the movies portray a cancer patient looking like. Yeah. So yeah. sickly and pa- cancer patients don't smile and they don't get dressed and they don't, and they don't out, laugh. Yeah. They don't get, they don't, don't, laugh. don't, don't laugh. They don't go out to lunch and they sure as hell don't party at any point. I have um, a friend, I had a friend who, um, she's been dealing with cancer off and on for, Oh God, I would say 30 years. 35 years. Oh, wow. And she, um, this last bout, she was back in chemo and, and she's about 15 years older than me. And she was just feeling really kind of blue. And, um, and so I said, I said, what are you, I said, what are you doing? I said, are you staying home all day? Cause she doesn't have kids and she's not married. So she's like, well, I kind of, you know, and I, she's, I said, okay. And I went over and I said to her, here's what you have to do. I said, you have to go down to the wig store and you have to buy yourself a wig, number one, because you need it. And I said, number two, even if you don't put the wig on, you need to draw your eyebrows on every morning. <laughs> every day. And I said, you draw your eyes on, eyebrows on every morning. That means every time you pass a window yep. or a mirror, you don't instantly see chemo patient. Mm-hmm. You don't instantly look sick. And I didn't lose my eyebrows and my eyelashes till I was done with chemo. Oh, wow. I lost my eyelashes. I kept my eyelashes through everything. And then a month after my last chemo, they all fell out. (laughs) Yeah. That's what happened to me. It was wild. And I do remember being, I'm 5'10". So on top of dressing in jeans and and shirts, um, the summer after I finished chemo, I was in a restaurant in Colorado and a waiter went by me with a big platter and said, excuse me, sir. (laughs) Because my hair was really short, and I'm, you know, I had on cowboy boots, so I was like six feet tall, and you know, I under, I understood it, yeah. But I was like, okay, the hair needs to grow a little more, yeah. But <laughs> like, just get it a little longer, so exactly. I look a little more, a yeah. little more like a woman, yeah. It, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to go through, and it's definitely crazy. I mean, you've said so many things, so many helpful things to people um, who listen to this and find themselves with young children and not knowing, not knowing what to do. And I guess the biggest thing, like you mentioned, was just to keep things normal. I mean, and life continues. Your kids, they genuinely, I mean, they care that mom is sick, but they don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> so my, so I had this, I had this day where my older daughter, um, she just turned 12. So she was, uh, right in the middle of the eye rolling mom <laughs> moments. And, and she, she and I had just had a moment and she was just like, you know, doing her eye rolling and her, and her 12 year old snarky best. And, um, and I, I called a friend of mine who was also a mom of, and when she was diagnosed, her kids were 13, 12 and 10. Mm-hmm. And I said, 
I just don't, I just don't get it. Like, why can't she said, you want to know why she can't just give you a break because you have cancer? I said, yeah, why can't she just give me a break? (laughs) And she said, you need to embrace this moment. And I said, okay, you're going to tell me why she said, because you didn't scare her shitless. (laughs) You didn't scare the crap out of her. So she's treating you like a normal 12 year old would treat their mother. Mm -hmm. Be grateful. And I was like, you know, like all of a sudden, okay, it's a turnaround. Yeah. I'm no grateful for mm-hmm. them fighting each other. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for attitude I get. Yes. Because it means I didn't terrify them. Mm-hmm. And you know, we got into a routine and I had great help. I had people who were offering and my, my babysitter that I hired to come one night a week, I walked her into the garage before, before I told the kids and I just said, so how do you feel about working four nights a week? Oh, wow. And she was like, what can I do? Yeah. And I said, I'm going to let you know. And so she would come, she would pick the kids up from school and bring them home sometimes. She would, you know, it was just, I just kept saying yes to people. And I just kept asking though. I did have one neighbor see me on the way to the mailbox with my bald head. I had two neighbors, same trip to the mailbox was very interesting. (laughs) One neighbor saw me with my bald head and called me when she got home and said, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do? I'm on my way to the market. And I said, yeah. And I, you know, told her a couple of things I wanted from the market. And my other neighbor that drove by me at that moment did not speak to me for five years. <gasps> and I live on, I live on a dead end street. I live on a street that, you know, block or two past me. Yeah. Ends. So they were, you know, driving past me wow. every day, several yeah. times a day. Yeah. And I just, it's, it was fascinating who couldn't handle the bald. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's different. It, I, when we first moved here and before I was diagnosed, we had only lived here a couple weeks. And so I didn't know one single soul. I mean, honestly, the first person I got to know here was my radiologist. (laughs) Um, so I, and it was like, it got real intimate real fast. And so I, I didn't know anyone and I didn't know how to ask for help. And I think Mm. that that was our biggest downfall in this was, Savannah is just a very community oriented town. Like it's everything, you know, people are so giving and they're so gracious, but we didn't, my husband and I didn't know how to accept help. And I think that was our biggest thing was that we got married really young. We were on our own for so long. We had four kids in five years. And so we felt like we just, we were like, okay, we have to just do this. We, cause you know, obviously our families were terrified for us. Like, how are they going to like there, this train is moving so fast that how are right. they going to keep this momentum? And when it came to cancer, we didn't, at that point, we didn't know how to ask for help. We didn't know people were obviously offering help and we didn't know how to accept it. And it made our lives so much harder and so yeah. stressful because we were taking on so much more than we could handle, especially with trying to keep the kids' lives normal that, yeah we didn't know what to do. And so hearing you talk about how much support and help, um, you had by saying yes. I mean, that just speaks volumes to people that you don't have to go through this alone by any means. And you don't have to feel guilty either for accepting help. Well, most, I think most of the time, everybody feels so completely helpless. Mm-hmm. Your family, your friends, they, you know, the, you know, the, the guy that always bags your groceries or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody feels helpless, but they all want to do something. Right. And sometimes it was as easy as saying, could you just pick up dinner? Yeah. 
you know, could you just, could you just bring it home? Don't cook it. Just here's where you go. Here's what you get. I mean, that's what, there's two companion pieces to chemo cupcakes and carpels. One's a gratitude journal. Mm -hmm. And because people talk about gratitude in this giant way and I'm like, yeah, but it could be lip balm. Like, yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be, I'm so grateful for, you know, the sky above me and the earth below me. It could just be lip balm. Lip balm is really good. Um, And then the other one is a home organizer, which is, gives you a place to write down what your kids sleep with, what they, what shampoo they use, what, um, what teams they're on, where their equipment is, who the team parent is. It's like Mm -hmm. all that stuff that's, it's like a brain dump for the primary parent. Mm Mm-hmm. And that way, when somebody says, can I get you something, you can just say, look at the book. Yeah. You know, or, you know, or somebody who's helping you could say, oh, hold on a second. I'll look that up. Yeah. You know, and I just, for, for my kids, I was really lucky. My husband, my husband's home. So we both work in the house. So he was around and that was great. My mom just basically dropped everything, but we were very lucky. And I, you know, one of my girlfriends, um, Cheryl said, you know, sort of, snapped me into action. She kind of looked at me and she said, you have to let these people cook for you. Mm-hmm. you, know, you have to let people help trying to keep my mind positive, right. having people, um, having people, uh, die that yeah. have been diagnosed since. Yep. Um, that's always really hard. Yeah. And, uh, and it always scares the bejesus out of me and yep. I'm, you know, I'm like checking my breasts and, you know, and people are like, well, do you still have mammograms? I'm like, there's nothing mammo to gram. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing there. It's all gone. Yeah. But my cancer was really hard to prove. Mm -hmm. So I was in the shower, found a lump that was the size of a golf ball under my hand. It was huge. It had not been there two months before. Wow. Because I had had my doctor's appointment Mm -hmm. and a very thorough hands-on check. And so we were on a trip. And so I, I got home and I drove into town and I saw my doctor and he said, yeah, that's a lump. And I said, uh-huh, what do I do? And he said, well, you could wait through a period and see if it's just a cyst and it resolves. And I said, and so if I'm your mother, your sister, your daughter or yeah. your wife, what do I do? And he said, you yeah, go see my friend, Jerry. I said, let's go see your friend, Jerry. Yeah. So, so I went to see him about two hours later. And he said, yeah, that's a lump. And he said, okay, we're going to do a mammogram and we're going to do a fine needle, uh, an ultrasound and a fine needle aspiration. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see what happens. And so, um, they all came back fine. What? Nothing wrong with me. You couldn't see it on a mammogram. You could not see it on the ultrasound. I've since seen the ultrasound. There's no evidence of anything there. And I... And the, the, for whatever reason, the fine needle aspiration didn't get inside it or it missed it or whatever, but mm-hmm. it, nothing, nothing came from that. And I said, what do I do? And he said, you got plans for the rest of the summer? I said, yeah. He said, go have a period, have two, come back and see me. I said, okay. So I went and I made myself a promise not to check my breasts except on Mondays. <laughs> and out of the eight weeks between that day and the day I saw him again, I convinced myself it was gone on two occasions. And uh, it wasn't. And when I went back to him, I said, what do I do? And he said, you're confusing me. I don't like to be confused. And I said, well, what's next then? And he said, 
you could do an MRI, but your insurance won't pay for it. Get dressed and let's go to my office. So I'm like buttoning my shirt, walking down the hall behind him. (laughs) He didn't get away from me. And I'm buttoning my shirt and I said, how much is an MRI? I'll pay for it. You know, I have a credit card. I'll pay for it. And I said, what's it going to be? Like two grand? You know? (laughs) Yeah. And I said, what's it going to be? And they called over and it was $1,300. And I saved my life. Yeah. My MasterCard ad is insanely good. Yeah. (laughs) You've got the best one. (laughs) I have the best one. And I, you know, and I, I, the, the MRI came back and it was, seemed to be fairly conclusive, but he Mm -hmm. presented it on Thursday morning before I saw him to get the final results. He presented it to the people and they they would have this group that would get together to present, uh, like the stage four people. Mm Mm-hmm. For like a group consensus, what do we do? And they're looking and they're going, it looks like cancer. It looks like cancer. Do a core needle to make sure. But yep. It looks like cancer. It looks like it's in the duct. It's, you know, whatever. So I get to his office and he's like, so did I tell you I was going to do a core needle? And I'm like, no. Mm. And oh, he's like. Those are fun. <laughs> those are fun. And um, so he said, well, we have to put you in the MRI. And I said, you're not putting me back in the MRI tube because my MRI story was ridiculous. It was horrible. I was in there for, it was horrible. I was on a folding chair in a hallway completely by myself for an hour and a half before they took me into the room. Oh my gosh. So um, it was all about keeping my mind straight. Mm-hmm. Um, I sang a lot. People <laughs> probably thought it was fairly nuts. But um, but I, so I, I had the core needle and the you know, and he says to me, you know, it's, it's Thursday and tomorrow is Yom Kippur. <laughs> and I, I said, are you telling me I should have gone to St. John's? <laughs> Can you find me a Gentile lab tech who doesn't need to leave at sunset? And I'm like, just find me somebody, you know, to get this result. Cause he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'll get it before Tuesday. I'm like, you, you're getting this result before yeah. Tuesday. Like you have to. And he called that lab. I think every hour until he got the results at about nine o'clock the next morning. Oh, wow. Because I just said to him, I said, you know, I, I'm like, I, 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 I can't do this, you yeah. know? And then he told me over the phone, which some people think is horrible, but you know, I was an hour and 15 minutes away from his office. I was like, this was so much better because it gave me a chance to digest everything. Yeah. You know, and I just said, what do I do? And he said, come see me Tuesday. Yeah. I said, okay. Yeah, I you was. Know? Yeah, my radiologist told me over the phone um, after I think it was my second biopsy. My first one came back inconclusive. Um, the second one, core needle biopsy, came back like they didn't have all the information, but he said that, like based off of imaging, MRI, and everything, he was like, "I'm ninety-eight point like point nine percent sure that it's breast cancer." And I said, "Okay," I was like you know, I was just like, fuck. Okay. But like, (laughs) I was like, okay, now what do we do? Like I didn't break down. And I remember him saying, you're taking this awfully well. And I said, but I just told him, what, what can you do? Like there's, you have have no choice. Yeah. In my mind, there is no choice, but there are people who choose that dark place. And I'm like, you got to go forward. And I was just like, okay, we've identified it. Now, how do we kill it? How do we stop it? How do we fix it? Like me breaking down is not going to do anything right now. But yeah, I was told over the phone and I feel like the same way I was able to digest it. I was able to yell and scream in the shower. And then I was able to go into the, that appointment with my breast surgeon where he formally diagnosed me. And I felt 
I felt like, okay, I've already, I've already absorbed it. I, I knew this was coming so I can, I'm more receptive to what's happening now. And right. You can, you can listen, you can hear yeah. it yeah. and, and you, cause you get over the, you get over the shock. Yes. And I, you know, I made my first, my first cancer joke while they were drawing my blood for the BRCA test. Mm-hmm at that, at that Tuesday appointment. And I was just standing there. My, my husband was sitting in a chair. My doctor was standing, my breast surgeon was standing in the, in the doorway. And he was like, I'm trying to get you in to see this one oncologist, but, uh, I haven't been able to get you an appointment yet. I'd like you to see this other doctor. And he names a doctor. And I said, Oh, he was my dad's doctor. And he said, well, is that a problem? And I just looked up and I said, well, he failed. (laughs) And started to laugh, and I, you know, and I, I, and I adore this man, and I have the greatest respect for him. But I like, I, I ha- it was like, you know, I had to make a joke. I yeah. had to, yeah, because they thought it was still in the duct. But by the time I had my surgery two weeks later, it was out of the duct. It was mm-hmm. still in breast tissue, but it was out of the duct. Yeah, and you know, that's why when everybody started getting all this, well, DCIS, you don't really have to do anything. I'm like, <clears throat> hello, yeah. No, that's what it's, I had. It's I yeah. I went from no lymph node involvement to lymph node involvement in three weeks. Oh my gosh! And I mean MRI. They they had an MRI done and it said no lymph node involvement. We were all like, yes. I mean no. So it's got to be still somewhat yeah. small. You know, like you know, we could get away with. You know, one surgeon was saying you'll just need a lumpectomy and then all this stuff. And then three weeks later, getting to my breast surgeon that I still have now and him being able to physically feel that I had an enlarged lymph node. And he was just like, what, like your MRI three weeks ago showed nothing. And now we're here. And they were just like, all right. <laughs> like I hope, and they said, the same. they were like, I hope you have no plans for like the rest of the year. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, who, <laughs> who has plans now? <laughs> like nobody they offered, they offered to do my surgery on October 30th. And I said, okay, I'm not doing my surgery on October 30th. And they're like, why? And I said, well, I have a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old and yeah. we're going to go trick-or-treating. Thank yeah. you. And I said, I don't, uh, no, no. And they're like, so how about the ninth? And I was like, okay. And then all I was doing for like 10 days was just having all these tests, the mm-hmm. battery of tests. And I, I met this amazing woman. I had to have this scan. I couldn't tell you which one it is. All I know is that I was radioactive afterwards, I think, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't go home right Mm -hmm. away. And so, um, they take me into this, like down this hallway and around this wall Mm -hmm. to this little table and they sit me down and then she's like, okay, and you're Angelique Pitney and like going through my name and my birthday and everything that she gets up and she goes to, she goes and she comes back with this little lead box. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And she sets it down and I can tell it's lead because it's heavy the way it goes down on the table. And then she opens it up and there's this stainless steel syringe. (laughs) And I'm looking at her and I'm going, okay, that's the scariest. This is what, this is what chemo should look like. Like this is what cancer should look like. It should look like something really scary and it doesn't. Right. So I'm like, I'm like, this is interesting. And I looked up at her and I said, it does. She's like, what? And I said, it doesn't seem real. Yeah. And she opens up her wallet and she shows me this picture of this two-year-old little boy. And she said, this is my son when I got cancer. Oh, He's now 33 and it still isn't real. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, you know, it was such a gift. Mm-hmm. That, and I, I kept, you get those little angels that like walk every time. And say, 
Yeah. And they say the right thing. I had this, I was scared to get my port and I was sitting on a soccer field and I was going to get my port the next day. And one of the team moms is there and she's got her, um, her niece with her, who's about six and tiny, a mm-hmm. uh, very petite little girl. And she said, how are you doing, Angelique? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to get my port tomorrow. And I said, for some reason, you know, it's really freaking me out. I, I just, I, I know I want it. I, I get that. But it, like the whole idea is just really freaking me out. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, my niece has had those. So over walks this six-year-old child, delicate, beautiful little girl. And she has, I think she has cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. And she says to me, tell, she says to her, her niece, tell this lady, this is, this is Mrs. Pitney. Tell, tell her about you having a port. Mm-hmm. And she points to one arm and she said, well, I've had one here and I've had one here and I even had one here. And I'm looking at her going, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Like I can't have a problem now. Yeah. Because, because this six year old is yeah. like braver than I will ever be, you know, yeah. and just fine. And I, you know, it's like those moments where you have somebody just walk into your life and say it. I had a guy come up to me in Whole Foods mm-hmm. when I was bald and I was in there with my kids and he just walks over to me and his hair is like a quarter inch long and he brushes the top of his head and he goes, it comes back. I promise you it comes back. Yeah. So many of those moments and those moments stick with me now. Um, just like you're talking about, because, you know, in those moments that you need something, but, and you're just kind of putting that out to the universe that you're like, I need this, or, you know, I'm, I'm searching for this and you want to stay positive. And so it's like the universe is granting you these little nuggets of positivity to keep you going. Um, when you're like right about to break. And I, so many times that happened to me, um, throughout treatment. And I was just like, you know, it's weird. Like, it's just every time I would tell my husband, you know, like, oh, I was here today and this is what happened. He's like, like, this is so strange. (laughs) Like, did you have, did you have a lot of women uh, take you into bathrooms and show you their breasts? Um, no, I, I didn't, did. I didn't have that. <laughs> I had people going, Oh, do you want to see my reconstruction? And I had another friend who sent me a picture of herself that like two days after her surgery. Okay. Or well, maybe I did. four days after her surgery, she still had drains. And I'm, and I'm looking, I'm like, that's not so scary. I did have that when I opened up on Instagram. Yeah. And I, and then I had women that were like, that would just send me a picture of, yeah. and I would open it and I'd be like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I'm not sure I was ready. Yeah. I was like, I, can we, can we preface this with like, I'm about to send you this picture because I would just open it like, and I'd be in the carpool line or I'd be in the grocery store and I'm like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I didn't, I didn't have, I, I finally got tattoos. I did not have nipple reconstruction uh-huh. and I, because I just, I have one more surgery to have and I know it and I've just been putting it off mm-hmm. because I'm just not quite, things are not quite right. Um, cause I had complications from that too. But, um, but my doctor said, you know, just, just do the tattoos because it's going to change something for you. And she said, no matter what happens when we do that final surgery, we'll just, you know, redo them. And she said, just do the tattoos. So I'm freaking out cause I've never had a tattoo. My mm-hmm. dad had a tattoo that he got in Singapore when he was 17 years old in 1924. And, um, you know, with the guy licking the pen and stuff, whatever, uh, like a whole different, a whole different level of cleanliness. And I'm, I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this. And I'm, I get in the elevator to go to the tattoo person Mm -hmm. and I text two of my oldest friends in the entire world. And I text the two of them. They're very busy. 
Okay. Now I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you who they are. They are Mariska Hargitay and Winona Judd. We've known each other since kindergarten. We all went to kindergarten through third grade together. And, and so I, so I, I text the two of them and I'm like, okay. Cause Winona has a tattoo. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think Mariska's ever gotten a tattoo. And I'm like, I'm on my way to get my tattoos. And for some reason, my two busiest friends are completely available. Oh and we texted through the whole thing. Oh my goodness. And it's like, see this pictures. So I'm like sending them pictures while the girl's doing that. I'm like, this is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever thought of. The one time I go to do something really outlandish and I text the two of them and they're texting me back and I'm cracking up and the tattoo artist is going, who are you texting with? I'm like my two oldest friends. <laughs> Like my two oldest friends and they're, just, and they're just joking and they're like, you know, and I'm like, okay. And I'm like, is this considered sexting? I mean, we were and like, having a, and, but it was, it was so great because they were, they were right there with me and yeah. I was so, you know, not ready to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was so, I don't know if you did that. Did you do nope, that? Nope. I am, I am a very proud card holder of the no nipple club. <laughs> so that, which is fine. But I got to tell you the 3d tattoos. Uh-huh. It's, I, I didn't do them till I was five or six years out. Right. Okay. So it was a while and, and I mean, five years past my final construction uh-huh. construction. So like seven years past chemo, I finally did it. And it just made me realize that, you know, I stopped, I stopped changing my clothes practically in the locker at the gym mm-hmm. because people don't sit and stare that long. But if you don't have nipples of some sort, you kind of, they kind of do. And I was really kind of not going to do it. And then my daughter was like, let me see, let me see. And I showed her and she's like, where are your scars? I'm like, they're right there. She's like, I don't see them. I said, I know. And it just took me to this level where when I pass the mirror and I get out Mm -hmm. of the shower, I don't instantly see that, but it took me five, six, seven years to do it. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, and I think everybody's, that got their own, their own thing. And mm-hmm. I don't think I, I, even after the next surgery that I have to have a like upping of my reconstruction, I'm not going to, I will not do nipple reconstruction. Yeah. I, my plastic surgeon a couple times every, I mean, well, actually every time I see him, I mean, he is just the greatest Scottish man I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and the fact that he plays like Scottish folk music in the OR makes me love him even more. <laughs> Um, and they tell me, the nurses tell me he, like, once you're out, he blasts this music. And I'm like, damn it. Why am I asleep during this? Um, but every time he's like, you know, we can make you a nipple. I was like, lay off the nipple. Like I'm not, I had nipples. (laughs) Like, you know, I, I have not gotten there. And one of my best friends is an amazing tattoo artist in Brooklyn. And she has said, Kelsey, I'll tattoo you nipples. I'm like, guys, I'm good. I'm good with the no nipple right now. I don't know. I really, I like how it looks. I know I'm kind of in the minority with that because a ton of women say like, I just don't like my scars or I just, you know, I can't wait till I can have a nipple or I was so sad that I lost my nipple where I'm like, I was on a shoot the other day and I had to change in front of, you know, five or six women. And I said, listen, if you see, if you look over here, I have no nipples. (laughs) 
I can, look like Barbie or yeah, a mannequin. They That's, looked. There's two. There were a couple young girls who had just graduated college, like th- that were on the set, and they looked over, kind of like, "What? Wait, what? Did she just say she has no nipples?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, I, you know, I'm like, I have three six-inch scars, you know." you know, one under my armpit, two over my boobs. And I'm like, this is, this is what it is. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I really like it. I know showing my mom was probably one of the hardest things because I don't think she was ready for it. Um, you know, I'm still her baby and she was kind of like, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready. And then she saw it and she was like, Oh, it really doesn't look that bad without a nipple. And I said, I know. (laughs) That was my, my husband was like, when he came to the hospital the day after my surgery and he was like, I said, okay, could you just look down my shirt? Please Mm -hmm. look down my top. Just Mm -hmm. please. I'm like, he's like, have you seen? And I said, not really. I said, but I want you to look. Yeah. And so he looked and he was like, oh, that's not bad. Yeah. That doesn't look so bad. And I, you know, I still had bandages and everything, but you know, my god sister came over and she's like, oh, you look like you did when you were 12. I'm like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm down to the A cup. Yeah. Um, But it was, you know, the whole process, I, I don't, I kind of, I think having the, um, for me having no tattoos for so long, Mm -hmm. I was always very aware of the young women around me changing in various locker rooms. Uh And I, and I didn't want to scare anybody. Yeah. And that, and that kind of, you know, and then when she said, just do it and I'm like, okay. And you know, it's very light. It's because you have to have it done two or three times. You have to go through two or three times because they don't go very far in. Okay. And so, and then they fade over time and you do it again or you don't, whatever. I haven't done it again because I'm going to have another surgery Mm -hmm. probably next year. But I just was like, this is, you know, for me, it just, it made me a little more confident at changing my clothes in a group of strangers. And I, and I, because I know that your eyes go around, Mm -hmm. like, you know, you might look around the locker room, but you're not going to stop on anybody Mm -hmm. unless I don't have them. Yeah. You know, that was, that was the only, that was the only thing. But I mean, I've, there are a lot of us who I've, I've, you know, I've shown a number of women also. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it, you're always kind of like, am I going to, what am I going to look like? And I remember saying to my doctor, you know, what happens because I was having so much trouble in my reconstruction, what happens if I don't reconstruct? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he said, you will be concave. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, you can't, you're, you were, I was very busty. Mm-hmm. I was triple D and he said, and you can't go too much smaller you know, with the implants, because you can't put a lemon where a grapefruit used to be. Right. And, you know, so I'm here and I'm, you know, I have, I had issues because my pectoral muscle tore during my initial surgery. And so my, my, um, my, uh, implants, not my implants, but the expander started to drop a little. Mm -hmm. And so I had to have extra stuff put in to support things. And, you know, it's not, it's not perfect yet. Yeah. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have one more and I just don't know when. And I've been kind of, as long as I've been putting it off, um, you know, I figure by the time I do it, it'll be almost time for me to do it anyway. Right. You know, so I might as well just do that. And then, and then, you know, the next time I'll be in my, you know, who knows what I'll, what I'll think to do when I'm in my 60s or seven. Yeah. I definitely, (laughs) I definitely went back and forth. I didn't know if I wanted to reconstruct, um, 
And even being young, I, I remember having that conversation and telling my mom, like, I just don't, I just don't know if I want to go through an added surgery. And I didn't like the idea of implants. I never really, I never really did. And so that was kind of weird for me. Cause I was like, man, I, you know, I was good with like, I breastfed four kids. So I was like, I am good with these just saggy flat boobs. Like I, I had just gotten used to them because I had just stopped um, breastfeeding my daughter you know, however many months before I found my lump. And so I was kind of like, you know, I just got used to having like no boobs. And, right. um, so I was like, I, I think I, I don't know if I want to reconstruct. And my mom was very, she was like, what, what are you talking about? My husband was very supportive of it. He was like, he didn't care. And he still doesn't. Cause he's like, you're alive. You're here. I don't give yeah. a damn. Like we can't, you know, that was, this was the scariest thing we've ever gone through. So yeah. I don't care. Um, and I, I mean, even now I just, I'm almost six weeks out from a revision surgery and they finally look good, I guess. I I don't know. I'm just kind of like, I'm still a very undecided about them. Um, just because of radiation and on my, my left side that was radiated is just the implant is so hard because of the scar tissue, um, and everything. But, you know, I, I do look at them and I'm like, wow, the fact that somebody could create this out of what it was, I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) It is, it is, it is an amazing, an amazing thing. My, um, I've, I've had two plastic surgeons, uh, and my, my first plastic surgeon, who's a love spent three and a half hours with me the first time I met him and basically taught me how to do a mastectomy and reconstruction. Wow. (laughs) Like with diagrams and everything, Uh you know, and, and he was, it was amazing because I really, um, got a respect for him. And I guess, you know, he's both of my, my plastic surgeons have been amazing. Um, I've been very, very blessed with, with the doctors I've had. Um, and I don't regret any decision I've made so far, Mm -hmm. but I did when I was so frustrated and the expanders kept flattening and my things were dropping and I needed more support and we were going through fat grafting and we were doing all sorts of different things. I just was like, at one point I was like, I started searching out the community of the women who choose to go flat. Yeah. And I wasn't, I, I, I applaud them, but mm-hmm. I wasn't ready. I just kind of wanted to continue to look like me as yep. much as possible. Yep. And, you know, I was like flat chested until I was a senior in high school. And then all of a sudden I got boobs. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm kind of used to yep. I'm used to it. And so I, it's like, you know, I just kind of wanted to look back yeah. and be like back like me again as much as possible. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, but it's a, you know, everybody has to make their own decision. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then finding. Yeah. And like, it, it's, it it's so much more of a mental game. So if you get to a point where you're mentally okay and you can sleep at night or you, just find so much clarity in your decisions. It's like, you just do that yeah, and not worry about anything else because how how far out are you? Um, so I ended, I'm a year out from chemo. Okay. Um, and so I'm almost, uh, almost a year out from having my initial mastectomy. Yeah. It gets better. Yeah. That's and your health, your health gets better, which is, I think, you know, that whole thing is so, uh, traumatic, Mm -hmm. you know, that it takes, it takes time and the exhaustion gets better. Okay. (laughs) You know, I promise you. That's good. That's good to hear. 
the added benefit of four children <laughs> um, under the age of, are they under the age of eight now? Um, my, my oldest just turned nine. Okay. So, you know, that, that's just exhausting anyway. Yeah. So, so, but it does, it does, it does get better. And once, you know, once you get past all those landmarks with your, your youngest of, you know, all the molars and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and all that stuff happening, the, you, you will sleep again. Yeah. And you'll, and you'll do it regularly and it'll be great until the older one starts to like drive and go to high school parties. Yeah. And then you'll be <laughs> yeah. Not ready. I have enough anxiety about cancer. I can't add any of that in right now. <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. No, definitely not yet. Oh. It's, you know, but it was such a, a, yeah, it's, you know, it will only get better and you have such an amazing attitude. And I, you know, I was looking at your shop online and I'm it's just, I, I admire you and I think you're doing a wonderful thing to have a podcast and be out there being very loud about being very young. Wow. Thank you so much. I mean, that, that means, that means so much to me. Um, and just the breast cancer community in general, just being able to talk about it and being open. And I love that you identified a need in this community and you fulfilled that with the books that you've written um, and your blog. And so can you just give a rundown for everyone of your blog where they can find all of that? So my blog is angeliquelamore.com with no apostrophe. Okay. Um, and the, uh, I have a book page on there and I have a blog page on there. My blog is now mostly about writing. Okay. Um, but the entire blog is on there. So you can go into the search bar and search cancer or Mm -hmm. chemo or anything like that. And you'll go back, or you can simply go back to my first, uh, my first thing and read forward, um, back in November of Oh nine. Okay. And, um, my books are on, uh, Amazon. Yes. And I have an author page on Amazon as well, and you can find them on the blog. And so they're, they're available. And I just want people to know about it because it's like, I didn't do it for free, but I haven't sold enough to say that I haven't. Yeah. (laughs) No, absolutely. It's a hard thing to get, to get people. My brother said to me, he said, nobody wants to have to buy your book. I'm like, I know. No, but but it is, it needs to be, people do need to know about it because that's what I was searching for, um, and there's right. so many people that are searching for it. And so, and I know specifically people that listen to this podcast and have subscribed to this podcast for this very reason is finding out how to get through it with children. So I'm so happy that now you have come on, you have, you know, shared so much great information. Um, and now they can find that. Yes. Now they can find it and it is there. So I just, I'm just great. I'm grateful that you had me on. Thank you for for doing that because it gives me an opportunity to let people know it exists. And I just, um, you know, I just wanted to be able to put all those emails in one place. No, and it's not, it's not written as emails. It's written as, you know, here's how you do this. And why did I start burning pancakes and, (laughs) you know, chemo brain stuff and stuff about mouth sores and stuff about it's, it's all, it's all there. And it, it's a very helpful helpful thing, handy ways to remember stuff. Um, yeah. and I'm just, you know, thank you very much for having me on. I, I look forward to, uh, following you on all your social media. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs>